Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us this morning through your word, that your voice would be unmistakable as we seek to live the life that you've called us to holy living in the power of the Spirit, formed as a community. And we pray that this passage today, Acts chapter 16, may, may inform us how you work for your mission. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So we are in a new sermon series that we're kicking off today, and it'll last for a number of weeks this fall. And this uh, sermon series is entitled Sent Out, as you can see. Now, I do not claim to be a scholar of other languages, but I can read smart people. So in the Greek, the word sent or sent out is the word stelos, S-T-E-L-L-O-S. In Latin, the word is translated to meter, which means sent. So if you take the word stelos and you add the, pre the preposition apo, A-P-O, I know, I'm trying to show off, um, you get the word apostelos, sent one. So when Jesus gathered his followers around him, he called them what some would call historically and traditionally disciples, but he also called them apostles, sent ones. And in, in the Latin, we see meter is where we get the word mission. So these, these words are all related. And a sent person is on mission, or as we like to say, a missionary. But most of us think this way. We think a missionary is that crazy, faith-filled person who raises money, learns a new language, and moves to another country. But do you ever think of yourself as a sent one, sent by God? And I know this is true for me. In our modern church, we think that we go on mission trips. You know, mission is something that we go do. I went on my first mission trip as a college student. We traveled to Gunnison, Colorado, and we hung out with college students who had grown up in a vastly different worldview than I'd grown up with in my small, traditional, conservative town in Oklahoma. And it was quite a culture shock for me. It was the first time I'd seen people and listened to people who had a radically different view of the world. And I believed we were on a mission trip to that place. It was exciting. It stretched my faith. Perhaps you've experienced similar things. Mission back then was something that I thought we choose to do. I'm going to choose to go on mission. But I've come to see and learn today that we don't take mission trips in reality. We are a mission trip. We are a sent people. Jesus said something to his disciples, his apostles. And I'd like it to frame the beginning of our time this morning. He said this. In John chapter 20, he gathered them around after he been resurrected and appeared to them, he says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. 
this apostolic mission that we are on, the mission of those who are sent by Jesus, stands in continuity with Jesus' own mission to us. The Father sent the Son into the world to save the world. Jesus was sent to us by the Father, and he filled him with the Spirit, and he fills us with that same Spirit, and he sends us into the world wherever we go and whatever we do. Again, do you think of yourself as a sent person? I think it works this way, too. Mission and being sent is not located in us, something I do, but it's located in God. Our God is mission himself. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are on mission and our mission. Listen again to Jesus. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. The Father has sent the Son into the world. In fact, we might say it this way. All of everything that we see and know, all of creation, is the bursting forth of the beauty and the power and the love of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit for eternity past. Everything that we know and see is a sign of the love of God to us. Food to eat, sunshine, rain. These gifts point to something outside of us. And the very fact that you exist and have life is not just a random biochemical combination and combustion through physical encounters, but it's an extension of the love of God. Therefore, being sent is an inner dimension of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You see, God the Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Father. This perfect community, this trinity that we talk about, this love that the Father has for the Son, he's lavished on the Son for eternity. And Jesus, the Son of God, explodes forth as the agent of creation to us because of the love of the Father. Listen to this out of Colossians. Paul says this so eloquently. The Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And I know this to be true in life. We love to the degree with which we have been loved. If you grew up, or maybe you're growing up, in a household of little love, you may predictably love others little. If you've been raised in a family where you're loved by your parents or your parents, by your friends, your family, then you may predictably be or become a person who exudes love. We love to the degree with which we have been loved. The Son has been loved lavishly from the Father 
and bursts forth with that love and creation. Have you ever wondered why the book of Acts is full of accounts of mission trips? Now, we attended a couple of churches for a while, and they would have a mission Sunday, and they would bring in missionaries, and they would put pictures. It was before we had these things. It was usually um, this thing called a projector, and you had to roll down a screen and change slides on it. Um, you can Google that if you're under 40. And we would see these stories of they were here and they talked to this family and they ate at this house. Sort of interesting stories. The book of Acts is similar. It's a story of these mission trips. These mission trip stories all show the work of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's why a little-known theologian to most of us in the room, Hervin Bavink, would say this. And the doctrine of the Trinity beats the heart of the whole revelation of God for the redemption of mankind. So if we want to talk about mission, we have to talk about God being a God on mission and of mission. Mission is located in the love of God. So what does this mean before I lose you in a long introduction this morning? It means that mission then is not something you do like you choose. We're going to go on a mission trip, but mission rather is something you become as you yourselves participate in the love of God. Sunday after Sunday, we say this, we'll say it this morning. We believe in one holy Catholic an apostolic church, a church sent to the world, a church founded on the teaching and the doctrine of the apostles, but a church sent on mission with the love of God. So that's why we need to turn in our Bibles today to Acts chapter 16 to start off this sermon series and see the mission of God at work. I'd like you to see how God sent Paul, Timothy, Silas and Luke to a place called Macedonia. So turn to Acts chapter 16. Right before Acts chapter 16, there's this huge debate in Acts 15. It's a, it's a major council. We call it the first council of the church. The church, the first time the church had to get together and decide something. And that's been a practice ever since. The church is conciliar. It meets in councils to decide and to seek the the voice of God and to pray and discern things. In Acts 15, here's the huge debate. Is the gospel for Jews, insiders to the God story, or, or is it for Jews and Gentiles? Now, we would think today, because we have the whole Bible, we're like, that's a dumb question. Back then, that was a big question. And they decided and believed that the gospel is for everyone, everywhere. Everyone is to hear the message that in Christ God is reconciling the world to himself. It's for everyone in all time, in all place. And so the apostles concluded this, and they say this. They say, it seems good to us, counsel, and the Holy Spirit. And so here Paul and his traveling band of missionaries set off to go visit churches. Acts chapter 16, verse 1 Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, 
the son of a Jewish woman who was also a Christian believer, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. And Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. That's Acts 15. And listen to verse 5. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in the numbers daily. Years earlier, the Apostle Paul had already visited these places, and he, his pattern was this. He would go into this synagogue, and he would tell people who understood the God story, how God had acted in human history, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses, all these stories. He would tell them the God story, and then he would say something profound, and Jesus the Christ is the fulfillment of him. Believe and you shall be saved. And people's lives were changed by this gospel. So they go back to these churches in Acts 16 to, to bring the believers their good news and an update. Now we just send an email. Like, here's the news. Read your email. But then they would travel and they would visit them and they would pray with them. And it says this, the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in the numbers daily. Why? Because the churches had heard a message that the gospel is for everyone. The gospel is not just for the powerful or the mighty or the God seekers. The gospel is for the whole world. And it drew people of all backgrounds and ethnicities into the life of the church. It was a beautiful thing. But something was happening in this traveling band they were compelled by the love of God to do this, but they had a plan. Now, that resonates with me. I'm by nature a planner. I think deeply about future stuff. I can't help myself. It's how I'm wired. I'm sorry for that. Forgive me. Um, I can get counseling. You can get counseling. We can work through this. Verse 6, Paul and his companions traveled through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. This is on this map here, this is, you see where it says Asia, that's Turkey. They're in that area. So they're traveling. And it says they were kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. We think of Asia as like India, China, Russia, the west, the east side of the world. Back then, Asia was that western province of Turkey. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia. And this is one of the most provocative verses in the scriptures to me. But the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. Here's these missionaries compelled by the love of God with the message that in Christ God is reconciling the world. And they're trying to go into this place, Bithynia, which means very little to us, but it's the northern side of modern day Turkey. Something very important in this account. The Son sent into the world. The Holy Spirit superintends and guides the mission of the church. So why wouldn't the Holy Spirit let them into Bithynia? If you're not asking this question of the text, maybe shake yourself and then ask it. What was God doing here? This is a puzzling question. There is absolutely a God-given instinct to plan. 
Raise your hand if you're a planner. Okay, we love each other. If you're not a planner, don't raise your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you. I've traveled on a vacation with Dan and Karen Alger. It's a joy. They are immense planners. They know what car we will rent, what color it's going to be, what restaurant we will eat at, what time we have to get there to get that certain thing, what beach we will go. They are immense planners. It's awesome. We just sit back and say, we're luggage on the bus. Take us. Here's Paul. He has this plan. I want to go into Bithynia and preach the gospel. There is absolutely this natural instinct for us to plan things. Bithynia was the wealthiest and most influential region. It's strategic. It was Paul's hometown area. A few years ago, one uh, staff member of our church, Hunter Van Wagenen, his parents are sitting here. I met Hunter at a conference about 10, 12 years ago. And I'd first met him when he was a high school student at 18. I show up at a conference. He's graduated from cemetery, I mean seminary. And I said, Hunter, what, what's God calling you to do? And he said, I'm moving to Spain and I'm going to be a missionary to Spain on the, Camine, on the Camino de Santiago, famous pilgrimage site. And I was like, awesome. Move to Greensboro, figure out how to do that, and then we'll send you. We're so excited about this call in your life. So Hunter moves here. He calls me right before he gets here. He says, hey, I've got some interesting news. I think I'm going to marry this girl. Is that okay? I said, sure, bring her. She's a missionary to Ethiopia. This is even better. So Hunter and Steffi move here. They get married. They form a team. They work three years to raise money. They have a plan. Some of you were supporters and prayer team of them. They showed us screens with slides of places that they're going to live and be. They had children, all that work and preparation. And then in what seemed like the turn of a moment, the Holy Spirit spoke and said, it's not Spain. It's Florida. Be interesting. Our thoughts on that. What did that look like? It's the same thing that happened to Paul. We make our plans, but God has his purpose. Listen to what happened. Verse 8, they passed by Mysia, and they went down to Troas. On the map, you can see Troas. It's the left of the Aegean region in the first century. It's a, it's a, it's a um, coastal town. They go down to Troas, and during the night, Paul had a vision of, of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. Pretty fascinating. After Paul had seen the vision, we, Luke is writing this, got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to him. Here's what some really smart people say about this passage. Paul would always go to the synagogue and preach the gospel. He would go to the people who knew this great story. He would tell them the story and they would become believers and these people were usually connected deeply to the Jewish faith or the Jewish story and heritage. But God directed him to a very different place, a place without synagogues, a place without the stories, a place where the stories of God would be unknown. Did you know today in the world, there are more than 3 billion people in the world that do not have a relationship, a living, breathing relationship with another Christian. 
the stories that you hear and have consumed all of your lives are stories that are utterly and completely foreign and alien to almost half of the population in the world. The Holy Spirit sent Paul not to a place that would be familiar, but to a place that would be unfamiliar to the story of God, but yet is equally hungry. Here in Greensboro, we're surrounded by the witness of the Christian faith. There's a church on every corner, but the Holy Spirit sent Paul to Europe, and he gave him a vision, and his, bands of, his band of brothers and travelers confirmed it, and they left from Troas, and they ended up in Philippi. Most of the New Testament letters of Paul are written to this region not to the others, with the exception of the book of Romans and Galatians. Someone who is a huge testimony to me is a young man. Some of you will know him, Bo Renslow. Bo grew up here in Greensboro. His family was a part of Church of the Redeemer. They're now living in Europe. We saw him here during church, uh, during the COVID season when we couldn't meet in person. Bo and Abby, his wife, talked about their ministry, and recently Bo sent me a message. He said, I've spent the last five years of life going to Nepal, preaching the gospel and taking mission to Nepalese people. Tremendous revival is happening in the country of Nepal. He had to come home on furlough. He tries to get back to Nepal. He can't get in. He can't get in. He can't get in. He's sitting in Turkey, of all places. And God says, I'm sending you to Kazakhstan. A man from Kazakhstan is calling. I'm deeply impressed by that kind of adept, um, adaptiveness to the voice of God. Is a man from Macedonia a moment to be expected for you? I say yes. But I think Paul's life was saturated with the love of God. And that saturation from the love of God enabled him to hear the voice of God. It gave him a willingness to adapt to God's plans and purposes. Sometime the, sometimes the Holy Spirit will do this. He will say this, I'm not going to give you your plans because I'm going to give you what you need. Make no mistake, I love plans. I love dreams. I love strategic visions and preferred futures. But I think what Paul demonstrates here in his team is a willingness to listen to the no-go from God. Perhaps you've experienced a no-go in life or his cousin, don't go. If you don't learn the don't-goes from God, it's hard to hear the man from Macedonia. Have you ever wanted a Bithynia and got a Macedonia? I'm sure if you knew the context, you'd understand why it was probably a little bit, really, is it really Macedonia? It was an extremely devastated and poor region at the time. I have a friend who had a great church job in Denver, Colorado, paid well on, an, on a really exciting church. Wife had uh, realized her career of dreams as a nurse, was serving in a great hospital, Amazing friends came home to Charleston, West Virginia, and he got a man from Charleston call. Wasn't on his radar, 
West Virginia, if you know, and this is no offense or no derogatory intention towards West Virginia, it's burned out and it's burned up. It's replete with an opioid pandemic and high poverty. It's not the place, the sexy place to go plant a church and lead mission. Yet my friend responded to the man from Charleston call. See, I think this is true, and it really stood out to me from Dan's sermon last week. If you believe God is real, and you believe he's good, and you can trust him, then Macedonia is the best place to be. What's your Macedonia? I love the city of Greensboro now, um, but in late 2005, it was Macedonia for us. <laughs> no offense if you're from Greensboro. I remember saying out loud to a group of people, I'll never live in Greensboro. Now it would take an act of Congress to get us out of here. I can't imagine living anywhere else. I thought we were going to go back home to Tulsa, Oklahoma, where the action is. I know you don't think there's action in Tulsa, but it's where I'm from. And no offense to Tulsa. But today, Tulsa would be like Macedonia. You see, when your plans and your goals and your agendas are placed in open hands to the Lord, and you live surrendered to God, you become mission. And the goal of that mission is communion. Let me share a great quote from Leslie Newbigin, a, a great missiologist. Hopefully you can read that. How is it possible that the gospel should be credible that people should come to believe that the power which has the last word in human affairs is represented by a man hanging on a cross. I'm suggesting that the only answer, the only hermeneutic, the only way to interpret the gospel is a congregation of men and women who believe it and live by it. Everywhere the gospel was proclaimed, whether in Lystra or Derby or Macedonia, it took hold and a community was formed. A community of people on mission where people worshiped God and seek his face and they love and they serve each other and their community. The great evidence then of mission, friends, is not conversion results, but communion. And I want to say something really important to me. We rarely see something community we create, but rather something we join. So we go around. I'm looking for a church. I'm looking for community. And I want you to hear so clearly this morning. If you are in Christ Jesus, you are the church. And wherever you go, you create community because you take the message of Jesus wherever you go, whether it's your office or your school. What we do here at Church of the Redeemer may seem very benign and safe, but it's actually very radical. It's very rebellious. It's very dangerous. It's very political. We gather every week and we worship our God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And as we draw in his goodness and are reminded of his mercy and his love for us, 
and we share a meal and we sing songs, not about how talented we are or how smart we are or how beautiful we are, but we sing songs about how good God is, his loving kindness to us, his forgiveness to us in Christ Jesus, how we may be a nobody in this world. You might be a nobody. Nobody will write a book or a blog about you at the end of your life. But in Christ, you're more than conquerors for eternity. And then we go out on our way, day after day, as sent ones. Perhaps you need to put a card in your backpack or on your visor of your vehicle with this statement, as the Father has loved the Son, and the Son has loved me, He has sent me, and the Holy Spirit is guiding me. When you walk into your classroom or your office, or you're sitting at home with a couple of little children, or you're a roommate on a college campus, perhaps you're a Greensboro fellow who've moved here or are moving here, you've been sent by God to this city, this place, this community. We've often thought the word dismissal is a derogatory term, right? You are dismissed. But the heart of the word is missio, mission. Not you're dismissed, but you're sent out. And when you come back, bring some new friends. Because when you come back, there's always more space around the table to worship the Lamb of God. Paul ends up in the city of Philippi in Macedonia. Even though it was a poor area, this city was strategic. It was generous. It was influential. It's where the generals and the military leaders retired. Most historians say that for the first 600 years of the story of Christianity in Europe and Asia, Philippi was a major base of gospel expansion all over Europe. It's also one of my favorite letters in all of the New Testament. This don't-go itinerary alteration turned into the name of our God reaching a whole continent. So how do we become mission? Let me first tell you what it means to be mission. It means you are a part of the body of Christ and where you participate in that body, local, where some say, where you go to church, or if you're from Oklahoma, where you hang your hat. You belong to a family that is these three things. You belong to a family that is a sign, an instrument, and a foretaste. First, a sign. If you're hungry and you're driving down the highway and you see a sign like Chick-fil-A, you know where you're going to go eat unless it's Sunday. <laughs> Signage is very important. For the body of Christ, we are a sign pointing to something really worthy. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So whether we are gathered this way or you are scattered your ways, you are a sign, not to you, not to Church of the Redeemer, but to the Redeemer. Secondly, an instrument. 
When I was in the fourth grade, my parents bought me a trumpet and I began playing in the band in my school and we had tryouts and they arranged us, I think, in alphabetical order on the first day. And by the end of tryouts, I was at the end, not the first chair, but the last chair, which is why I have no career in music today. The instrument that was needed to make music was this trumpet. The church is the instrument of God in the world. Not political parties, not promises of people, but the church. It's the vehicle by which God has chosen to bring the kingdom into the hearts of men and women. It is the place where love, mercy, and justice are to be expressed. Lastly, a foretaste. We are a foretaste of God's kingdom, including every Sunday when we gather. It's a foretaste. When we celebrate, when we have a meal, when we work together, when we play together, when we laugh together, when we as holy people do even ordinary things, these are a glimpse or a preview of the things to come. This is why as a church, we do fight injustice and racism and abuse and corruption. These things have no place in the kingdom of God. It's why we're very cautious in the church about even the use of power. We worship God and God alone. We're a foretaste of what is to come. So let me close with this. Maybe you might be sitting here and you are outside of this church. You're outside of this mission and you're looking in. Or maybe you're watching on a screen somewhere. I want you to know this is what the church is supposed to be. A sign, an instrument, and a foretaste. And you have every right to demand the church to be who it's supposed to be. And we invite you into it to be part of this family. And maybe that's even today. For those of us inside the family, have you made this move? You've listened to this message. You've just heard Acts chapter 16. Have you made this move in your mind? And maybe this is the great thing for you to do this very morning. Have you made the shift between mission as something you choose to participate in when you have time, if your schedule allows? Or maybe you see mission as the nature of God and you want to go where he goes and you want to obey what he says and you want to follow where he leads as a sign, an instrument, and a foretaste. Let's pray. Oh God, our heavenly father, you manifested your love by sending your only begotten son into the world that all might live through him. Pour out your spirit on your church that we may fulfill his command to preach the gospel to all people. Send forth laborers into your harvest. Defend them in all dangers and temptations. And hasten the time when the fullness of the Gentiles shall be gathered in and faithful Israel shall be saved. Through your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.